Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined with a wonderful guest all of the way from LA. Hi, my name is Sophie Pollock and I am currently almost 19 actually and I am a sexual assault and domestic abuse survivor and I'm super excited to be here. So thank you, Madeline, for inviting me. Thank you for being here. I am so thrilled to have you with me to share your story um, and your coming from LA, which is insane. Um, Sophie was just telling me a little bit about what is going on with COVID in LA and it all sounds a little bit crazy over there. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, nuts right now. Actually, our restaurants just opened back up today um, for only outdoor dining. So it's a little bit of progress, but it's also super exciting to start to see some things, you know, go back to kind of normal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's what we're striving for is COVID normal. And it's a little bit different here in Melbourne because as of um, today, we're recording on the 30th of January, um, we're pretty much open. I mean, the only things that we have to do at the moment are wear masks um, in like Ubers and taxis and on public transport or in like shopping centres. So it's a bit different, but we were there, so we understand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God! We had a good I hope we don't go back, but it sounds like you guys are making at least a little bit of progress, especially with the vaccines. Yeah, we're starting to make actually a little bit of progress on the vaccines. Um, We recently, actually, like my grandparents just got vaccinated or their first round of vaccines uh, because you have to go back for a second. So that's super exciting. So now I'm just waiting my turn, (laughs) whatever that may be. (laughs) <laughs> last on the list, but we'll get there nonetheless. Exactly. Last one, definitely last. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sophie, so would you mind telling me a little about, bit about your story and, and where you were when, when everything started for you? Where were you in, in your life um, and a bit of background? Um, yeah, so I was actually about, I was 13 years old and I was in eighth grade Um, so I was kind of young. I was actually very young, not kind of. Um, and I went to like one of my first official, like, I would say parties being from LA, like that's kind of a typical thing. Um, like you grow up really young, um, childhood, like isn't considered middle school. It's considered like lower than that. Like by the time you're in middle school, you're already kind of like a teen, um, that's just like the culture um, that I grew up in. And yeah. it's kind of unfortunate, but it's just how it is around here. Um, yeah. But I was in an interesting place in my life. Like I wanted to, I was figuring out like the, my transition to, you know, middle to high school and figuring out like who my friends were. And I started a new school the year before. So, and it's an all girls school. So it was really intense uh, making friends. (laughs) Uh, And I just wasn't in the best headspace. And I made some interesting decisions along the way, but I decided to go to a party with one of my friends and I ended up getting roofied and raped. And that's kind of where my uh, story begins, but 
um, I guess like after that, I wasn't really public about my story or I didn't tell anybody about it, not even like my family until I was about 15 years old. And that was when I became like more vocal about things um, because I decided that I like wanted to get the help. So I ended up telling my mom and uh, my mom ended up calling my therapists because my therapist had no idea. But I decided to go into therapy actually right before it happened, uh, just because I struggled making friends and my my family thought that it would be a good idea for me. And I agreed. So I, yeah, I decided to seek therapy just, you know, so I could have like a human diary and just somebody to talk to. And it really helped me, except I wasn't, I guess I realized I wasn't being honest. So I had to change that. And the first step with that was to tell my mom. Yeah, I'm so glad that you did come forward and tell your mom so that you could get the help that you needed. And I'm I'm so sorry that that, that you experienced that. That um, must have been absolutely awful. I do understand as well, though, that feeling. I mean, I had gone to um, therapy quite a few times and not told the truth. I remember... Um, I mean, therapy was wonderful for me and I can't recommend it enough, especially if you find the right person. But um, I remember I was using a lot of alcohol to kind of deal with my problems and she'd asked me a question about it a few times and I was just like, no, no, I just have one or two here and there, knowing full well that I didn't. And it's the same thing. I just realized I wasn't telling the truth. And as soon as I did, I actually started to heal. It was it was the weirdest thing. I don't know why I wasn't telling the truth in a space where I wanted to tell the truth. Yeah, I felt I felt the exact same way. Like it was so difficult for me to I don't know, like I felt like I was like wasting my parents' money. Like I was just sitting there wanting to tell the truth, but like I didn't know how. Um and I was doing that for a couple of years and that was really difficult. So I just decided to be honest about it. And I ended up telling my mom. And then, um, unfortunately, because I was a minor, uh, there was some police investigation involved. And that was pretty traumatic. Um, I was about, I was a sophomore in high school. So I was almost 16, um, you know, starting my big years and applying to college and thinking about all that stuff. And it was actually like, the worst timing but I was in the middle of taking my English final right about to go on winter break um and I got pulled out of my final in the middle of it from my school therapist and the head of school and of course everybody then looked at me like "Ooh, she's in trouble yeah but the police showed up at my school to question me about the incident they couldn't have waited an hour. Right. right. Like they couldn't exactly. They couldn't have waited or they couldn't have like come to my house where at least like my parents were there for emotional support. No. Well, I mean, um, you're a minor as well. So did they interview you without somebody present? Yeah. Yeah, they did. They interviewed me without my parents present, just my school school therapist, and that was it. That's really awful. I mean, and talk about making somebody feel uncomfortable. As a survivor, you need to be made to feel comfortable and that is just shocking. That that yeah, is just was, I don't have words. I'm so it was sorry. Quite traumatic. And also uh I started dating around like age fourteen or so. Fifteen is when I had like my first like serious boyfriend. Um, but of course like I sought out the wrong people and like he ended up being a horrible drug addict um so he had to go to rehab and that also weighed on me and a lot of stuff and he was actually my domestic abuser so when I told my mom about my rape incident I also told my mom about um how he domestically abused me and so they questioned me not only just about my rape incident that I also have like zero recollection of because I was roofied, but they asked me questions about my ex-boyfriend. So he was your ex at the time that he went yeah. to rehab? Yeah, he was my ex. So I ended up having to, I just felt like his life was kind of on my hands because nobody else knew the severity of it except for me. Cause I was, you know, just sitting there like witnessing it all firsthand. Um, And of course, like, you know, like addicts, like don't want their parents to find out like he was a young kid. So I understand like why he didn't want um, his parents to find out. And 
I mean, I, I felt super not like guilty, but like I ended up making, like I had a discussion with my parents after we broke up and he broke up with me obviously because he said like, I, he was like, I don't want to live anymore. He was being super dramatic and um, I got really scared. So I had no idea what to do. So I went to my parents and I was like, I need your advice. Like we broke up because he said like, he doesn't want to drag me down with his drug addiction any longer. Like that's obviously a cry for help. So I talked to my parents and, um, I talked to my two other friends that he was also best friends with and who knew what were going on. And we decided that we were going to go to his house and kind of have an intervention for him with his family. Cause I didn't want somebody's life on, and I didn't want somebody's blood on my hands. I would feel responsible if he OD'd and I didn't tell anybody. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's so strong of you to do that at that age too, because I think at that age, you're so scared of getting in trouble and you don't want to seem like a, you know, somebody who's dobbing on other people either. But at the same time, the fact that you've understood the severity of the situation, you know, and it, it goes two ways as well, because when somebody's threatening to, you know, end their own life, um, that also puts you and the people close to them at risk because once somebody's right. decided that their their life is no longer worth living, the step and the line to hurting somebody else becomes very fine because they no longer value life often. So it's just an interesting thing. So it's really good that you highlighted that because not only for your own safety, but for, for your ex-partners as well. Exactly. I mean, like, I knew that deep down, like underneath all of the substance abuse that he had a good heart and he came from a good family. And because I witnessed that before he got into drugs, like I knew him before he was a serious user. So like, I know that he had the capability of being a great individual. He just got really lost and he did horrible things and hurt me and everybody else around him. So yeah, I decided to just have an intervention for him. And then his parents ended up like sending him off to rehab. And that was a little difficult um, for everybody, actually, um, even me. I was obviously heartbroken because he was like the first guy that I consensually lost my virginity to after my rape incident. So that was a big deal for me. Um, Yeah, a big part of your life. Yeah, it was it was a huge part of my life. And also, like, I was trying to move forward. So (laughs) I, you know, I was trying to forget. And I was and I I had a different definition of sex than most girls my age did. Um, just because I was a virgin when I was raped. So I didn't really have like the, I guess, I never got the like, I never understood like the passion behind sex and like what it meant to like wait and like why people valued and romanticized sex so much. Like I never understood that. That was just because of such a huge disconnect. Um, And so- Yeah, you've got a different association with with what that means and everything as well. Yeah, So I tried, I guess I like, I tried to search for that. And the way I did that was by, I guess, sleeping with multiple partners, um, obviously after this relationship. Um, but I tried to, I guess, redefine what sex meant to me, but in the wrong ways. And, but I was also really young. So I didn't realize that until now, obviously. Um, yeah, but I'm glad I I did at the time. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it just it puts yourself in in danger, I think, because you start to value things a little bit less. And I'm I did the exact same thing when I was I was fourteen when my assault happened. And I started just like sleeping with people that were like older like older guys at school and things. And I think what I was trying to do was was find validation. Um I agree. In something. And I I don't know why I did that, but I mean you know, from learning more about it now and speaking to a lot of survivors, you kind of tend to go, you know, you can, there's a huge spectrum of ways you can go, especially with sex after assault. Um, And I wasn't having sex and really enjoying it. I was doing it as like one night stand things because I think I was trying to seek comfort or validation or something. And that's when my drinking was quite heavy as well. So it was just this spiral out of control um, that I didn't value 
some of my own safety as well. I was just, I was happy to kind of be a little bit reckless at that time. Yeah, I agree. I also had a little bit of, I guess, like a phase where I felt that I needed to seek validation from, you know, like substances. Also, I didn't like go super heavily into it because, you know, I'm, I was young, so I wasn't, I, and, you know, I, I like wasn't legally able to like obtain a lot of stuff. So it was like a lot more difficult. Thankfully, I like in the long run, like, thank God I wasn't able to like just legally go drink because that would have been horrible. And I know myself and I know I would have just gone down like a rabbit hole if I was like 21. Um, but thankfully, like alcohol is, you know, illegal for minors. So it was a lot more difficult for me to like slip into substances. Um, that's the one thing I am like pretty appreciative for um, in terms of my grit and my strength is that I didn't go down the same path that he did. And yeah, I think it absolutely. just it scared me into like it shocked me into a reality that like, oh, my God, I can't like I can't do this. Like I couldn't even be around like the smell of weed or marijuana. Like I couldn't be around it for probably until I was like 17 or 18 years old is when I was able to, you know, like, a, like be okay with somebody else like using it around me. I just was so like in shock. I had, I was, I, I, uh, I attempted to just take all of my anger out on the substances and not on the individual. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense. And it's also just like really traumatic. So you've just got this association now with drugs. It's just like, oh, you know, and you can understand what that would be like. And it doesn't come easily to get over those things. And that's where the therapy and talking about it and being open about these things is so important because um, all of these things are, st are stuff that you can now start to work on and work through. And it's not like you flick a switch and it's just done you'd still smell weed and go, oh, shit, and it's not a great association probably for you, but it might not be as strong. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, it's it's not as strong. Um, I have actually, like, because of anxiety issues and um, a lot of different, you know, obviously different uh, after the aftermath effects of, being a survivor, I dealt with like PTSD, depression and anxiety. So when I turned 18, since you're allowed to, I legally got my uh, medical marijuana card. Um, so I could go like experiment a little bit and see if it would help my anxiety or see how I'd feel. I tried to do a little exposure therapy. Um, yeah. Because actually in the long run, like it ended up really helping me like disassociate like a situation from an object and that was what was difficult for me I couldn't like differentiate and I still like have trouble differentiating like a place in a situation like I drive in a neighborhood and I'm like oh my god I'm like unsafe here because like that's where my abuse happened like I still like can't go to particular neighborhoods because it's like I can't disassociate like a situation from a place or an object it's so difficult yeah, and that's so common with um, PTSD and the triggers that that send you back into into these feelings of unsafety and unrest and and just such such heightened anxiety and unsafe and just that the feeling of of not being okay. I mean, I remember um, I had this one boyfriend after my assault um, when I was like fourteen. And he was an asshole to everybody else. Like everyone else really hated him, but um, like other than his mates. But I think what people saw was this obnoxious character. But one of my major triggers was the perfume that I was wearing that night. And it was a really common perfume. And we would go out to like parties and stuff. And he knew what the perfume was. Like he could smell exactly which one that it was. And he used to carry this like little mini Lynx can in his pocket and he would go up to girls and spray them and be like, you stink, and then walk away. <laughs> like, oh my God. It, was, it was really mean to them, but what that's he was doing sweet. for me. Yeah, that's was, really sweet for you. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was he was trying to really help me get over PTSD and, and get a hold on my triggers. So, I mean – he Probably was doing his best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, a it's a 14-year-old. Exactly, yeah. a 14-year-old boy. So A for effort, yeah. you know. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that links Africa as well. So, <laughs> God, <laughs> not the best. Um, but what was it? Um, going back to to the um, when you went to the party when you were younger, what was it? Um, like, we did you were there drinks at the party? Was it um, like open drinks, or do you know how you you had the the uh, whatever was? Do you know what was given to you as a roofie or? I have no idea. All I know was it was like pretty much an open bar, but um, it was just like teenagers who, you know, like have fake IDs and bought alcohol. So it was just like sitting on a table and I put my, all I remember was I put my drink down and I walked away for two seconds and I picked it back up and that was it. And did you lose consciousness there? Like, did you wake up there? Yeah. Um, so it was a little, um, I, it was very in and out, but I, all I remember was like being outside and then I woke up the next morning in my friend's bed and that was it. That is so terrifying. And does any, nobody else there knew what had happened or? No, nobody did. Cause it was outside. I, I believe in a dark alley. So I, <laughs> It, I it was un, really really unfortunate that I didn't have at least one witness. Yeah, or even you know, it, I'm sure that there would be people maybe who have suspicions of other people. Exactly, um, but I didn't know anybody, so I had no contact to anybody. And like, I tried like looking to see if I could like find some of the people on Instagram and maybe see if I could like put links together. But then after like a couple nights of internet stalking, I like looked at myself in the mirror and was like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Like I'm just only, I'm only going to hurt myself more and just torment myself more. Yeah. Just by trying to figure it out and put all the pieces together. So I kind of just let go and realize like it happens. And sometimes you just, it's best to just try to not remember and I'm so sorry that that happened. It's um, that must be so traumatic, not being able to remember and trying to put the pieces together. What happened yeah. with the police? Did the police end up doing an investigation and going to um, like interview people that were at the party or identifying people? Unfortunately, not because I didn't want or feel comfortable like giving them an address it was two years after the fact so they really couldn't do anything about it okay yep so unfortunately the situation that they did take down is the domestic abuse situation and because him and I weren't in contact at the time um and it was six months or it was, you know, also like a couple, couple years after the fact, but him and I weren't in contact for six months. And I believed he, that he was in rehab during that time. So there was no contact between us. So it kind of just like went into a file and nothing happened. So he was never like interviewed with it as far as you're aware or as far. Um, yeah. As far as I'm aware, never interviewed, nobody followed up on it. Um, and it just went into a file cabinet somewhere just in under all day. I gave him, you know, his address, his name, first and last, uh, hair color, eye color. You know, I answered all the questions that I was able to answer and that was it. And they said like, because you're not in contact and you're not in danger anymore, we're just gonna not. And I was like, what are you going to do with this? And they were like, nothing. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So. Um, <laughs> sorry. That they don't know that you're not in danger anymore um, if you're making claims of abuse. Right. And that's like t- saying to a murderer, like, oh, you've already done it. Like, they're probably not going to kill anybody else. No, yeah, exactly. And they were like, oh, because you're not in contact with him, like, we're just going to put it in a file somewhere. The funny thing is, is actually a couple oh. days ago, he reached out to me. Oh, my gosh. What what was that like? What did he say? I was in shock. My jaw dropped to the floor. I dropped my phone. I was like, holy shit, what is happening? Like, oh, my God. and. I mean, he was just like, again, like, I'm really sorry. I'm getting clean. I'm on this new medication, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm really sorry. And I was like, and at this point in my life, I realized that instead of just trying to, you know, continue to like make him feel bad for it, like, all I said was, is like, look, I know you have a good heart. And like, we had a really really toxic relationship and it was really unfortunate like the way it ended but like I, I, I essentially was just saying like in my head I was like I need to move on like I just I need to just drop this and like let go like I can't keep carrying around like the hatred and the anger towards him so I was just yeah it's just gonna get to a point where it's just ready to go okay I don't accept your apology. Maybe you understand that there was was a lot going on, but you know you've got to get to that. You're right. The point where whatever the point is for you as well, because for everybody it's going to be different, and, and right. what what healing and what moving on looks like is so different. And it just that's really great that you've said to him and created some boundaries and said, you know, these are this is what I need, and I need you to to back off. Yeah, and I just said like like I was bullied like a significant amount in high school because of you and I and it left a lot of scars but I hope all is well with you and your family and you know like I and I hope you stay safe you know kind of just closing that door and moving on yeah yeah once that door's closed you know and then it just opens another one for you to go that really is now behind me and I can move forward exactly Um, exactly and it was it was um kind of a difficult decision because he's actually reached out to me three times before apologizing apologizing for what he had done to you in the relationship and yes and like how so after the intervention he sent me like death threats literally like i hope you and your family like suffer like you're human trash i hate you how could you do this to me like all this shit you know um, because he wasn't present when I went to his house. He wasn't there for the intervention. So right. I So it was um I, you and yeah, two I others was, talking yep. to his family? 
Yeah, it was yeah. me and two others talking to his family. He was actually gone out of the country with his dad. And all I remember him telling me is that he was like buying illegal drugs, like in another country. And that was when we broke up. Like we didn't even, he didn't even like face me. Like it was over the phone, <laughs> like it was over text message. So of course I had all of it like in writing. So I was able to like have proof that like, I'm not crazy and that I should seriously worry. Yeah. You're not like um some scorned ex-lover who's exactly was like mad. To, yeah, yeah it was like and all the texts I got after was you're just mad I broke up with you blah 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 and the only thing I could reply was look in five years I'm gonna get a Facebook message from you saying you saved my life thank you and that's it and you basically have you know <laughs> exactly I basically have just not on Facebook yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. like so uh, I I don't know but like yeah, like he apologized three times before. Um, so it, it was kind of a pattern at this point. Like, so my sophomore year of high school also, like after I reported him, um, it was almost my junior year. I got a random call. And so I picked up the phone and I was like, hello, like, who is this? Like, you know, and it was him from rehab, like calling to apologize, you know, to make amends because it's part of the program. So I accepted his apology. We became like acquaintances, I would say. And then he ended up coming home um, from <laughs> he ended up having a home visit from rehab. So because he was there okay. for so he was there for so long that they allowed him to, you know, come home and like come home for a couple days and then go back. But, you know, I, he was had, he had to like take a drug test every day that he was home and all this stuff. But so he invited me over for dinner and I freaked out and was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go. So I went over to dinner for his house and he apologized. It was very nice. Actually, his parents were very nice to me. Everything was very sweet. Um, and then we ended up having sex and I regretted it and I left and I was confused. And then I was just like, I, I was supposed to leave for the New York the next day. Cause I was going to do a summer program, um, like a pre-college program, um, for conservation biology. Cause I was really into sustainability at the time and thought that I wanted to go in kind of an environmental sustainability direction with my career. And so it was a big deal for me, um, the, the program, but I was so like mentally just not there. Like I was so all over the place because of what happened right before I left. Like I just, I, I, I had the best time at the program because I was able to grow and I was in a city alone, making all new friends. Nobody knew me. It was one of the best like restart situations of my life. And that was when I realized that like, I couldn't really like see him anymore. I mean, like he was going back to, re he was back in rehab anyways, but like, I just like, I had to like move on, you know, like romantically too. Like I had to just officially like drop it because it was being like dragged out for so long. So I just decided to move on. And then I did. And then he got out of rehab um, my junior year of high school. So he was there for about a year and a half getting help and getting clean. And he came back and he, you know, re-enrolled in school and all that stuff. And we were acquaintances. And then I decided to come out about my rape story, which he had no idea about on my social media for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, one of my former close friends from high school made a documentary um, and she asked me to narrate it and tell my story. And so I was so proud of that moment that I decided to post it on my Instagram. Yeah, um, wow. And he followed my Instagram. And then two days later, I got texts and calls from my friends at other private schools saying he's going around telling everybody that I'm lying. I'm just like, there's a lot of things going through my mind and by no means am I an expert on the topic, but um, domestic violence and, and domestic abusers and everything. And it just sounds like, um, you know, 
the guilt trip and you've got this relationship for a while and it's good and then they start to abuse you and things go wrong but then they apologize and they're so sorry and you know when people say why do people go back right because um, you and think they- they're different and you think yeah. they changed and I did I thought he I thought he came home from rehab and like we could we we could peacefully coexist you know and be friends on yeah. social media but not interact with each other I thought yeah. that was okay but I was so thing- wrong (laughs) yeah well one thing that I think as well that is like interesting is like you know when you've gone and seen him and you've gone to that dinner and everything abusers aren't always abusing you know what I mean so he would have had the charm and he would have put you off guard and you know made you feel comfortable and safe and having sex with him would have been okay in that moment because right because he's not this asshole at this stage that you you sent away he's this new guy that you've got right come back it's very manipulative yeah and what a wonderful (laughs) thing for you to kind of realize afterwards and go you know what I don't want this again and you've got your restart moment that happens where you can really kind of not be around other people that you usually know to give you that space but then also in this time, you know, where he's going around saying to people that you made it up, um, I wonder, like, he's not saying that it was, there's no um, question that it wasn't him, right? Like, there's no, you you told your story about how young you were and everything. Is that correct? Yeah. Like, nobody thought that it was him. No. It's just one of those other tactics to try and isolate people and to try and control people and things like that. And it just sounds like while it's not been all at once for you with this person in your life, he is trying to control you. Yeah. 100% just in different ways. And I think that he was in all honesty, like jealous that I moved on and that, you know, like, and still was holding anger and resentment at me that I quote, like sent him to rehab, even though like, it wasn't my decision at the end of the day to what his course of treatment would be. Um, it was, I was just, you know, like I was his punching bag. And so after that incident, I just, I, I heard about the rumors and the last time I ever talked to him before he reached out to me a couple days ago, was when I said, I never want to speak to you again. I thought that, you know, we were, we could be cordial and um, I am floored at how disrespectful you can continue to be to me. And I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And so I just, I ended that friendship. I ended that relationship. I blocked him on everything. You know, I deleted his contact. I, I, haven't didn't do anything and I haven't heard from him since until a couple days ago yeah and how are you feeling like right now about it are you are you glad to say goodbye you don't affect me anymore are you yeah I actually feel like I finally kind of got my uh closure you know now that I'm like in college and not in high school anymore and everybody grows up and moves on with their lives and he actually is going to college, which I didn't think would end up happening. So like, I'm happy for him that he is also moving on. And I think that I finally can just like come to like a, you know, like a crossroads at the situation and just be like, and just look back on it and be like, that was interesting and just move on. Yeah. Fuck you. But exactly. Exactly. Like, move on. <laughs> exactly. Like peacefully. Fuck you. Have a great life. You know? Yeah. But like, I don't want to like be, you know, like I didn't want to like be rude or like hold, um, not like towards him, but like just like hold like resentments. Like we, I guess like we still were like mutually friends, you know, like he follows my Instagram, my personal Instagram and like I follow his, but like that's about it. Yeah. And you're just, so, yeah. Yeah. That's like really good. Peacefully just coexist, you know, like still see what's happening in each other's lives, but like not comment on it and not, you know not engaged definitely yeah so what was it been like for you coming through like anxiety and PTSD and do you mind talking a little bit about your Instagram project of course um so because of all of you know everything that we just talked about I decided to uh, create a space for 
domestic abuse and sexual assault survivors to, you know, just uh, have a resource center and have somewhere where they could go if, you know, if, if needed and if they need more resources. Um, I provide that on my website as well. Um, I initially like this was go, it was going to be a one-time event actually, which is funny. Um, and it was going to be in person at the beginning of April of 2020, but then COVID happened. So I spent all this time like planning this one event that was going to be in person, um, only for it to move online. But I decided to use that, that one event that I did for sexual assault awareness month in April, um, to kind of launch my grassroots organization, um, a path to courage. I decided not to do a nonprofit because I felt like that would have been a little too much for just me to manage. So I decided to make it a grassroots organization where all the proceeds that like I raise or, um, through advocacy and events and et cetera, et cetera. Like I charged, um, for admission for the event and all that money was initially going to be donated. So when it was moved online, I ended up making, you know, the event free and asked people if they wanted refunds. Um, and they, and thankfully like a lot of people said like, no, just donate the money, you know? Um, because I was like, I'm so sorry, COVID happened. Like, I don't know what to say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I ended up like donating all the money that I raised for the initial ticket sales and I turned it into my grassroots organization of Path to Courage. And it's been a great healing experience for me. I've been able to like, not only learn a lot about myself as a survivor, but I've been able to connect with people like you and a bunch of other incredible other strong women and sexual assault survivors, domestic abuse survivors, et cetera, et cetera. And just kind of join the online community of being an advocate. Um, And it's really been awesome. Like I've just dedicated a lot of my time to trying to, you know, come up with content and make graphics and do the whole one, two and come up with events. And it's been really helpful during COVID, especially because, you know, isolation and loneliness can really trigger like a lot of depression, anxiety and PTSD um, symptoms. So I am really thankful that I started this project because it's been keeping me busy. Congratulations and thank you. What an amazing achievement. I mean, you've got quite a following. You're doing so well. You're touching so many people. And what we just said before, sorry, was um, how important this work is, how important advocacy is, how important um, getting the word out to survivors is and being a resource for them. Um, It's not easy to come forward and it's not easy to talk about it. And if you don't come forward, that's okay but that makes it even harder to get through this and through any of these mental health issues as well. I mean, my own experience, it took me well over 10 years to even start to properly address these things. And that for me culminated in, you know, a couple of suicide attempts and um, drug abuse and drinking too much. And, you know, I think until you talk about it, normalize talking about it and work on it, can you actually start to heal? And having lived experience of fellow survivors out there is so important because it you listen to this and understand that you're not alone. And even if you don't want to come forward for the first time, you've got somebody who actually gets it and you've got somebody that you almost don't have to justify it to. You know, you don't have to say, um, I, you know, I'd only had two drinks as if you've got to say, you know, that so that people will believe you kind of thing. So, yeah, just thank you so much. Um, I think it's so wonderful, you know, going through all of that stuff and having fellow survivors to talk to about, about your experience or even just hearing what other people have gone to. There are so many people out there that, that wouldn't come forward because they don't think that it's abuse or that wouldn't come forward because they're not comfortable with it. And these are the conversations that will change things for people forever. I completely agree. Definitely coming forward was one of the best decisions that I made. And I'm not only like really proud of myself for doing so, but I'm just proud of the person that I'm becoming today um, and that I will become in the future. Um, 
so yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to see like what work you're going to continue to do as well as me and all the other people that are in the advocacy community on Instagram and Facebook and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing as well is you don't like coming forward doesn't mean you have to come forward to other survivors and it doesn't mean you have to come forward publicly, but just even reaching out to a good psychologist or a general practitioner, um, any kind of, even a nurse, just a friend, somebody, letting somebody know what's going on. Um, I think we both have the same experience where it's just been the thing that saved our lives. I agree. Yeah, it's definitely been the my lifeline is, you know, like therapy and my family and my friends. And without them, I definitely don't know where I would be today. What do you have in store in the future for um, A Path to Courage? Um, so I'm currently working on brainstorming some new events, you know, for this year. And I'm trying to think of, you know, something virtual again to do for April, kind of just to celebrate Sexual Assault Awareness Month and um, celebrate the online community as well. Um I'm honestly just hoping that I can expand it once I, you know, find a permanent college campus to be on. Um, And once I'm able to, you know, be back in like dorm style situations and go to clubs and, you know, do this and that, um, I'm hoping to bring it into more conversations with, um, you know, other clubs and other um, advocacy platforms around my university and my campus community. And what an amazing place to be talking about this openly because, you know, we, in, in Australia and I'm, I think in America as well, there is a, there is a strong culture of sexual assault in, um, in universities and people often don't come forward about it in those situations because, you know, they're, they were drunk or they don't know or it's their teacher or something. Um, so what a wonderful space, educating people on why not to assault people and letting them hear the stories of survivors and any survivors out there in, in those environments, mostly young people too, will get to see and hear that they're not alone. So how wonderful for them. Thank you. And exactly. Just like kind of encouraging other people to come out about their stories and, you know, feel comfortable about talking about situations and what to, what to do and what not to do in certain situations and kind of just bringing more education about sexual assault and um, domestic violence kind of to college campuses is kind of what I'm hoping to do with a path to courage as I advance in my schooling and advance in my career and everything. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so where can everybody find you? Um, I know you've got a website and an Instagram. I do. So my Instagram handle is at a path and the number two courage. Um, and my, uh, website is www.apath, again, the number two courage.org. Um, and the reason why I chose a number two is because actually (laughs) I was born on 020202. So I decided to make it, you know, a little personal and creative and threw the two in there instead of just T-O. <laughs> That's so wonderful. I love yeah. that. And it, it's it's your baby. It's your project. Exactly. So, so, so that makes complete sense. Exactly. So just make it, I made it a little personal. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sophie, and sharing your story. Um, I will link in um, your website and your Instagram and I think we'll link in some additional resources. Um, I think actually they're all on your website anyway. So we'll link in some resources for people listening in the States. Um, As usual, there'll be all of the resources for all of my Australian friends. Um, But thank you so much for coming on. I guess one more thing, if you, what would be one thing you would say um, to to a survivor coming forward now or listening to this now? I would say thank you, in all honesty. Um, I would just say that I'm more than appreciative for your courage and your bravery and for continuing to debunk the stigma around sexual assault and mental health and domestic violence, et cetera, et cetera. That's so good. That's so wonderful. Um, Okay, well, I 
can't wait to have you on again because I'm sure that we're going to have many discussions into the future. It's been such an honor to meet you um, virtually. I hope one day we can meet in person. I agree. You as well. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's been a pleasure. Um, thank you for all the work you've been doing for the survivor community as well. It's amazing and inspiring. Well, you inspire me too. So it's just wonderful to have um, to have some new friends in this space. I agree. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. So thank you for listening to Reclaim Me. Um, If any of this has brought up anything um, and you need access to crisis services, there'll be links in the show notes for this episode. But for right now, signing off. Bye. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.